Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors on staff at the Norton campus. And uh, I was just thinking about what a what a neat relationship we have with one another. Uh, I was with uh, the Norton pastors this morning and we're praying about our services. We were praying for you. And it's just so neat to be a part of this, uh, of this, of the, all these campuses and churches that are coming together. And it's, just, it's exciting to be here. It's exciting to see your, your new facility and, and to just hear what God has uh, been bringing you through and into. And it's exciting to see what God is going to do in our lives and, and in and through this church. So I'm glad to be here. I'm excited to be here. Um, we're in the second week of a series called I Quit. Um, before I go there, I need to introduce myself a little bit, uh, tell you a little bit about myself. Um, been married, it will be 27 years in August uh, to Jennifer. She's a third grade, third grade teacher. Um, I have three boys. Um, one who just, uh, we adopted uh, out of high school and uh, he goes to Kent State. I have another son who goes out to Northern Indiana uh, to a college and then I have a junior in, uh, in high school. And so it uh, keeps, keeps us busy and uh, keeps us on our toes. <laughs> and so speaking of busyness, we're in this series called I Quit. Uh, we're one week into the new year and it's a good time, I think, to talk about these things because it is the beginning of a new year, a time when we reflect and a time when we make changes and, and we commit to things. Uh, it's a time that we uh, set personal goals for ourselves, like eating less and exercising more, spending less, giving more, watch, watching TV less, reading more, training for that 5K, saving for that vacation. You know, it's a time when we, re we reflect on what has been and we try to regain some control over our lives. Uh, this often involves quitting something to make room for something better. Or as the Bible says, taking off the old self and putting on the new that we have in Jesus Christ. Well, this morning I want to talk about the attitude, the habit of hurry and busyness and our need to slow down. I quit hurrying. You know, I, I don't know about you, but in, in conversations that I have with people, and I even said it in my introduction, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. <laughs> got so many things to do. I'm running here and there and everywhere. And, and sometimes we wear that busyness, we wear that hurry like a badge of honor. Hey, look at me. If I'm always busy, then I must be really important. If I'm, if I'm running here and there, I'm always in a hurry. I have places to go and things to do. Everyone and everything needs me. Yeah, you know, I'm sure there's a few people... Um, few people out there who don't have anything to do and could use more interruptions in their life, but uh, I think that describes very few of us. But everyone else, we feel overwhelmed. We feel overcommitted. We feel overburdened. We're all busy in different ways, hurrying and rushing and running from one thing to another. And whether you're a pastor, a parent, or a plumber, you struggle with the responsibilities of work and family and exercise and bills and church and school and friends and, and a barrage of requests and, and demands and desires. Now here's what I want us to think about this morning. What if, what if hurry 
is the single greatest barrier to your experience of God and faith in your life? What if all of this rushing around, all of this hurry, all of this busyness is keeping me from truly knowing my God and living by faith in him? I mean, what if this frantic pace we live in, never stopping, always trying to multitask, always trying to do more, faster and better, is the main thing that's hurting your life? The main thing that's hurting your relationships, your marriage, your family, your work, maybe even stealing joy from your life. I mean, you realize, uh, do you know that you may be sick this morning? You see, hurry and busyness have become such bad habits that that researchers have come up with a name for it called hurry sickness. And so I must diagnose the hurry sickness within me. Now what is it? Hurry sickness is is a compulsive need to do more and to go faster even when there's no need to do so. I want to ask just a few questions so we can determine, so we can begin to diagnose hurry sickness in our lives. The first question is, do you often exceed the speed limit while driving? Has anyone ever said to you, you know, I didn't want to trouble you because I know you're just so busy. Do you find it hard to relax? Can you sit and and enjoy quiet for more than two minutes? Do you have time to pray? Do you often eat together as a family? Yeah, you know, I remember not too long ago, I came home and my teenage son was, was lying there on the floor in the living room with his headphones connected to his phone and I knew he was supposed to be doing homework so I asked, hey, what, what are you doing? And he said, well, I have this book I have to read by tomorrow. He said, I, I don't think I'm gonna have time. So what he did is he downloaded Spark Notes, which was Cliff Notes in my time, a summary of the book. He downloaded that to his phone and then he figured out a way that he could have it read to him, but not read to him in, in, uh, in normal speed, but twice the speed. <laughs> and so I listen to the hear- earphones and I, I'm just hearing chipmunks, you know, but that was his way of reading the book. And while I gave him points for creativity, uh, he did read the book. <laughs> but, but I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's, don't we try to do those things? Well, if I can just cut corners, if I can just hurry a little bit, I'll get it done faster. Well, recently there was a movie out called Zootopia, and I, I think it illustrates our hurry sickness pretty well. Are you saying it because he's a sloth, he can't be fast? Flash, flash, 100-yard dash. Buddy, it's nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. Hmm. Officer Judy Hap, CPD, how are you? I am doing... Fine? Well, what... Hang in there. ...can I do... Well, I was hoping you could run a... For you. Well, I was hoping you could... Today. Well, I was hoping you could run a plate for us. We are in a really big hurry. What's the plate? Two nine T number. Two nine T H D zero three. Two 
Nine. T. HD03. H. D03. D. Zero three. Zero. Three. Hey, Flash, want to hear a joke? No! Sure. <laughs> what do you call a three-humped camel? I don't know. Pregnant. <laughs> Priscilla. Oh, no! <laughs> well, I won't torture yeah. you anymore. Uh, every time I see this, it just gives me stress. It's like, hurry up! You know, have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you just, maybe you do it or maybe you're thinking about finishing their sentences for them because they're not telling the story fast enough? You know, it's, a, it's all a result of, of we're addicted to hurry. We're addicted to rushing here and there and, and doing things quickly. Our world has sped up so much. We live in a, at a much faster lifestyle than previous generations because changes and advances to technology are happening at a rate that has been unprecedented in our history. But rather than helping us so that we have less to do, we sim simply keep trying to do more and more. In the USA Today, I read, today people are souped up, stressed out, and overscheduled. In this brave new world, boundaries between work and family are disappearing. Everybody is mobile, and every moment is scheduled. You know, I think if we pay attention, there are some clear signs of hurry sickness in our lives. And so I have a few more questions, and the first is, is my life more stressful? Do you have a nagging sense that there's just not enough time? And in the 1960s, a group of futurists told Congress that by 1985, due to advances in technology and efficiency, people would work 22 hours a week for 27 weeks during the year. And they predicted that the biggest problem that would need to be addressed in our society would that people would have too much time to spare. <laughs> you know, it's just the opposite, isn't it? In the context of our Western culture, we've been described as a people who are rich in things, but poor in time. Ever notice how someone using a microwave starts to look for something else to do if the food is going to take longer than 30 seconds to heat up? <laughs> you know, hurry is all around us. I mean, consider it's even in the way we talk. I'll be back in a minute. I'm gonna go get some fast food and then I'm going to run to the Quick Mart to buy some Jiffy Pop, right? It's, it's in our language, in the words that we use are all evidence of hurry sickness. You see, hurry reinforces the feeling that you're running out of time and, and, and adds stress to your life. Now I have to add, there's nothing wrong with going fast unless you never slow down. But hurry creates stress. Now secondly, am I experiencing less joy? 
Am I experiencing less joy? Because the faster you go in life, the less time you have to enjoy it. I mean, think about you're driving down the highway at 65, 70 miles an hour. You, you see things, but you don't see much. And so <clears throat> you slow down as you go through that town at 35 miles an hour, and, and all of a sudden you start to see a little bit more. But the reality is, if you really want to enjoy what's going on around you, you have to walk. It's in walking that, that you get the sights and the sounds and the smells, the details, the, the experience. Because enjoyment comes when you slow down. If you're continually fast-paced, you'll never slow down enough to really enjoy life, to really enjoy the people around you. As you try to do more and more, less of it feels meaningful, less of it feels significant. It's a blur of activity that's soon forgotten. You know, the fact is, hurried people never look happy. <laughs> Have you ever seen someone who's tailgating you with a big smile on their face, just enjoying life? <laughs> well, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6 reads, It is better to have only a little with peace of mind than to be busy all the time with both hands trying to catch the wind. You see, having more doesn't make me happier and doing more doesn't make me more worthy. But sometimes we make how busy we are, how much we're in a hurry, a, a statement of our importance. All the while, we're, we're stealing joy from our own lives. And so this hurry sickness can, can, can add more stress, less joy, but it also leads to me losing compassion. It has, has my capacity to show grace and compassion diminished. You see, people who are in a hurry simply don't have time to help or, or maybe running too fast through life that they don't even see the needs. Years ago, there was an experiment involving students at Princeton Theological Seminary. And these students were brought together. They were asked to prepare a short sermon on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus, it's a, a story Jesus tells about someone very unlikely and unexpected helping someone in need. Well, after the students prepared the sermon, they had to walk to a different building to present their message. But along the way, each student was set up to encounter a person who was slumped over, who was groaning, who was in clear distress. The question was, would a seminary student who was studying to be a pastor and serve in a church who was about to give a sermon on the Good Samaritan stop and help a person in need? Well, here was the catch. The students were told that they were late, that they didn't have much time, and so you can probably guess what happened. Only one out of 10 students who were in a hurry stopped the help. And so think about this, one out of 10 students walking to give a sermon on helping a person in need stopped to help a person in need. And it wasn't because they were cold hearted or cruel, it was simply they were in a hurry. Some of them didn't even see, didn't even notice the need. You know, I think it sounds crazy, but how often do I rush by someone in need? How often am, am I in such a hurry that I rush by my wife, a friend, 
a colleague at work, someone in crisis. You see, when we're in a hurry, if we're busy, we don't have time to help or, or maybe we don't even see it. It leads to the last symptom of hurry. If I'm moving at a fast pace in my life all the time, are my relationships suffering? Because I can't truly know anyone in a hurry. We can't run through life and expect any depth or meaning to our our relationships. In the same way, it's the same way with God that following Jesus can't be done at a sprint. If we wanna follow someone, we can't go faster than the one who is leading. And so what's what's the cure to all of this hurry sickness? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is I need to commit to hitting pause in my life. As a family, sometimes while we're watching a movie at home and and things are getting crazy and you don't know whether it's the present or the past or the future or whatever it is, you know, somebody will say, pause it. And because I like to have the power, I have the remote usually. (laughs) And so I hit pause and we take a moment to get everybody caught up okay, this is the present, this is who this is, and that, that was this person who was younger then but is older now, and, 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 and we take the time to find out what's going on. It's a way to catch up, to get a better understanding, to appreciate what's really happening. And I think in the same way, there, there's times we need to push pause in our everyday lives so we can catch our breath be replenished, become who we want and need to be. We must learn what it means to slow down and and keep things in, in proper perspective. King David wrote, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. You see, David gives us this picture of a child at rest in his mother's arms. It's a picture of of peace, a picture of contentment and security. It describes our relationship with God when we take the time to be quiet with him. And and you may be thinking, yeah, you know, I I may have a little hurry sickness and and all these things, but you know, what you're talking about is impossible. I I have a job, I have kids, I, I have a spouse, there's sports, I have a roommate, I've got responsibilities, things to do, important things. But the reality is, the more hectic our lives, the more essential it is that we create margins and take time to slow down. Well, how do we do that? It starts, I believe, by looking at Jesus. You see, I learned to hit pause by looking at Jesus. And we think, well, what about Jesus? I read about him in in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, you know, he seems like he's always busy. What about fast-paced, busy Jesus? Early in the morning, Jesus, teaching into the night, Jesus, healing all day, Jesus, busy man, working man, preaching man, leading man, people, person, Jesus. Well, at the very beginning of the Gospel of Mark, and if you want, you can turn there, Matthew, Mark, it's the second book in the New Testament, But Mark chapter one, we read this story. It's after Jesus has healed Peter's mother-in-law and we read this account. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. 
the whole, da- the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. I, I want you to imagine the scene. Imagine the people pressing in to be next to be healed, with some with terminal illnesses, some with debilitating problems, some with chronic pain. And physically they're being healed and word spread like, like wildfire to the point Mark describes that the whole town was at Jesus' door. Multitudes of people with serious, serious needs, desperate to be healed. And the reality is Jesus could have easily set up shop here and never ran out of business. But listen to what he does. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Pause. Jesus knew when it was time to slow down. Jesus knew that as important as healing these people was, he was here for something even greater, something eternal. He left to spend time talking to, to talk to his father, and we don't know what, what Jesus prayed, but what we do know is that slowing, time, slowing down to spend time with God the Father was extremely important to him. And out of that prayer time, when it came time to make a decision, Jesus knew that despite the crowds and and the needs pressing in on him, he came for a greater reason. Slowing down, hitting the pause button to spend time with prayer, renewed his strength and, and perspective. But, you know, it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long for the rush of reality and and all the responsibilities to come sweeping back into our lives. And we see that in this account. Because if we continue reading, we read Simon, who's called Peter, and his companions went to look for Jesus. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. In other words, Jesus, things went great yesterday, and and there's even more people there than there were yesterday. Let's get back and, and capitalize on this. But it's interesting because Jesus had other ideas. He had compassion for these people, but he also knew they had a greater need than physical healing could ever solve or meet. To give spiritual life to people who were dead in their sin. Listen to Jesus' response. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Here's here's what I think. (laughs) Jesus was almost always busy. There was always something pressing in on him. There was always something to be done. But Jesus was busy, but he was always busy doing the right things. You see, Jesus was busy, but he was always busy doing the right things. Why? Because he took time to slow down. Often when life was the most hectic, Jesus Jesus spent his time wisely, never in a hurry, always taking time to talk to the Father. And again and again, throughout the Gospels, we read of Jesus taking time to pause, to get alone, to pray. But how does that relate to me? How does that relate to us? I want to look at another story briefly so you can grab your Bible or device and Turn to Luke chapter 10. 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 10, verse 38. During this time, the demand on Jesus is growing even more. The more he teaches, the more people want from him. They, they want more healings, more miracles. They want more of everything that Jesus can offer them. And it's in this context that we come to this passage. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And so at the invitation of Martha, Jesus stops for a meal and he's grateful to have a place to lay his head and, and rest a while among friends. And Martha wants to show him through her hospitality and provision just how much she loves Jesus and, and cares for his disciples. But at the same time, his sister Mary is at Jesus' feet just, and begins visiting with Jesus. And so while they're catching up, Martha runs in the kitchen to, to get a meal going. You know, they couldn't just order dominoes. You know, somebody had to get the meal together. Martha knew what needed to be done. And it, she knew that it had to be done right. And she knew that if, if you're going to make dinner for 15 people, somebody has to prepare it. But after a few minutes of hurrying around the kitchen by herself, Martha snaps. She's ticked. She, she bursts into the conversation that Mary is having with Jesus, and she addresses Jesus straight on and says, Lord, don't you care? Uh, I don't know about you, but I find that very ironic. Lord, don't you care? I mean, you think about it. The Savior of the world who's left the glories of heaven to put on human flesh, to serve, to heal, to teach, to bleed and die for my salvation, my forgiveness, the redemption of the world. He's been out on the road teaching, healing, pointing people to real life and real hope. And Martha questions him, Lord, don't you care? I don't know if it was like this or not, but I, I picture Martha waving a spoon. <laughs> you know, a, a cooking spoon in her hand as, as she gets into Jesus' face and says, you tell my lazy sister to get in there and help me. And it's interesting, Jesus' reaction, he doesn't escalate, he, he just simply says, Martha, Martha. He gets her attention and it's with compassion and kindness. And he says, you're so worried and upset about so many things. You see, he doesn't accuse her of anything bad, but he's making an observation. Martha, you're so worried and upset about all these things. You know, Jesus could have said, you know, Martha, if I wanted a five-star dinner, I could have arranged one. I, I fed 5,000 people a couple weeks ago. I made the best wine ever at, at a wedding reception. If I want food and drink, I, I, could have, I could have provided it. But he doesn't say that. Instead, he says this, there's only one thing that's needed, Martha. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And so here's the thing that we need to learn. Jesus loves your companionship. 
You see, what Jesus is saying here is clear. Whenever I come for a visit, I come for one thing. I come for an exchange of love, an exchange of, of conversation. Martha, what your heart is, is actually yearning for, the antidote to all that hurrying and drivenness and busyness going on in your life right now, is to have some unrushed conversation with me. So put the spoon down, Martha. <laughs> And let's talk. Pause. See, Mary, by her actions, sitting at the feet of Jesus, indicated that she had made a fundamental decision in her life. And that decision was to follow Jesus, to say yes to Jesus, and, and to learn from him. You see, to sit at someone's feet was an expression in that culture that indicated a, a, a relationship between a disciple and the rabbi, a teacher. To make someone your rabbi was a choice to be with him, to, to learn from him. And so every aspect of life was an opportunity to learn from the rabbi. When I sit at Jesus' feet, I'm asking him to be my teacher and companion in every moment. The intentions of Martha, I mean, they started out very honorably. There was nothing wrong with what she was trying to do. She had every intention to honor Jesus in her home. And I, I don't believe that she intentionally chose to ignore Jesus. She wanted to be around him just like her sister. But as the text says, it says she became distracted. Well, the sense of the word translated distracted here is to be pulled or, or dragged away. And the implication is that Martha wanted to hear Jesus herself. She wanted to be sit, seated at his feet too, but she was being pulled away by all the things that she thought she had to do. Her attention and focus began to fall on what she was doing rather than the one she was doing it for. And I want to repeat that because I, I think... <laughs> Well, I know I'm guilty of this. I think we're all guilty of this at times. You know, even when we're doing ministry, even when we're, we're serving and worshiping and, and doing good things for people, we can become so distracted by what we're doing that our focus and attention begin to fall on what we're doing rather than the one we're doing it for. I want you to note the contrast that Jesus use, uses here between many things and one thing because it's the heart of the problem. Martha was pulled in so many directions that she forgot what she was doing and, and who she was doing it for. The many things overwhelmed the one thing that really mattered. I read about a man who looked at his life and concluded that he was just like the professor on Gilligan's Island. And it's interesting what he writes. He writes, the professor knew how to turn banana peels into diesel fuel. He could take algae and, be, and make it chocolate fudge. But he never got around to fixing that hole in the boat so he could get off the island. This author continues to write, same as me. I spent my life learning to do amazing things that didn't matter and I ignored the hole in my boat. And that's why I'm stuck where I am. You see, I think this is what happened to Martha. She got distracted, and because she got distracted, she became stuck. But how did it happen that Mary was in the better place? And the answer is she chose it. 
Given the same opportunity that Martha had, she chose to go to the living room and sit at Jesus' feet. It, It doesn't happen by chance, it never does. Because you will never end up at Jesus' feet by accident. You must choose to go there or it will never happen. And Mary was willing to leave some lesser things undone if necessary in order to be with Jesus. She chose the important over the urgent, the better over the good. Because you see this, this passage, this account, is, it's not about cooking versus praying. It's not about an active life versus a, a contemporary life of, of, of contemplation. It's about the distracted, divided life versus the focused life. A life of, of frantic activity versus a life centered on knowing Jesus. That being said, the main thing we need to do this new year, 2017, is, is not to do even more, even faster. I think the main thing that we need is to slow down, to pause, to quit hurrying, commit to more of Jesus. You see, Jesus wants to serve you. It's interesting that this story is placed right after that story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus has just made the point, how you love others reveals how you love God. So whenever you see anybody in need, go and help them, neighbor them, love them. But then comes the story of Mary and Martha and it comes immediately afterward and it shows us the other side of the coin. And Jesus is telling us in all your activities and doing stuff, don't lose sight of the fact that the fundamental thing that Jesus is looking for in followers of him is relationship. Don't lose sight of of who you're doing it for. You see, Mary's fault was serving Jesus to the exclusion of not being with him. Jesus says that Mary chose the better part because a ministry to our spirit, a ministry to our spirit must precede a ministry to others. Jesus said the first command is to to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And what we need to understand is the order of these commands is no accident. These commands are always in this order, love God, love others. I mean, if we get them reversed, it can destroy us. We, We burn out, we end up overwhelmed and overburdened and exhausted and depleted. You see, only neighbor love growing out of a love for Jesus has staying power. Before you serve, we must allow Jesus to serve us. I mean, he brought you to himself to to help you, to strengthen you, to, to put his life in you. The Almighty God enjoys fellowship with us and and wants to pour his life into us to complete us. And so we need to pause and sit at the feet of Jesus. But I think it's safe to say that that none of us are at our best when we've been stretching our margins. When we've been pushing against our margins and, and hurry and busyness dictate our lives. I like to think about it like this. Ever ride a bike in which the tires weren't completely pumped up? <laughs> and you might be able to ride a short distance without really noticing the effects too much, but you know, ride the towpath with flat tires for long and, and you begin to work a lot harder. 
And the funny thing is, though, about bike tires is that I never remember taking air out of them. The air just kind of leaks out of the tire. And so when I get out my bike this spring, I know as a fact that I'm going to have to to put some air back into the tires because somewhere, somehow, the air's leaked out. And when the air leaks out of your tires, they don't work the way they're supposed to. So each time I pump the pedals of my bike, it becomes just a little harder. Here's the thing. I think life is like a bike tire. I mean, just as it's harder to pedal with flat tires, it's, it's not as fun or joyful when the air has leaked out of our lives. Life and life has a way of deflating us. I mean, difficult conversations, the air leaks out. Tough day at work, overwhelming circumstances, underappreciated, unnoticed, don't meet my own expectations, overworked, overtired. Hurry to pick up little Festus, grab a bite to eat, off to the meeting. Busy, hectic, tired, rushed, hurried. It happens to all of us. And many times without thinking about it, we've chosen it through our hurry and our busyness. One way to deal with all these deflating things in our lives is to try to run away from them. To keep ourselves so busy and distracted, even denying the reality that we're running on flat tires. But I think the best, and I know, the best answer is to simply take the time to replenish that air. In other words, I quit hurrying and I commit to more of Jesus. I put off trying to prove myself worthy by how busy I am and how much I'm in a hurry and I put on slowing down, sitting at Jesus' feet, understanding my strength, my perspective, my worth comes from him. I quit trying to handle life in my own strength and, and commit to leaning into Jesus because I can't do it on my own. You can't try harder and to expect to succeed. Listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you more to do. More burdens, more pressure, a, a to-do list. Is that what it says? No. It says, Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Sit at my feet. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus wants you to walk with him. Jesus is saying, don't try this alone. Come, come, come with me. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. A, a, a yoke as a harness that two oxen would be harnessed in together so they could plow the field and step. But it only worked if they moved at the same pace, the same speed. I mean, you, you see where Jesus is going with all this. Jesus isn't saying, I, I want you to spend some time with me here and there as you can afford it. Now, Jesus is saying, I want you to do life with me at my rhythm, at my pace. Take my yoke upon you. Walk with me. You see, Jesus intentionally set up a rhythm of life to resist the temptation to hurry. 
He would get up early and, and spend time alone in prayer. He would sometimes wait while others felt the need to rush. He had the courage to say no, even to urgent requests. See, Jesus is moving in the rhythms of the kingdom of God. Focused, centered, knows what the Father requires him. He knows how to move with the rhythms of grace and compassion. He's not in a hurry. He's not too busy. He's <clears throat> too busy, too hurried to reach those who, who are in need. See, we have to learn to, to walk in step with that rhythm. But Jesus didn't get to this point by accident, and neither do we. So instead of asking, what do I need to get done in the next 30 days? Maybe we need to begin to ask a broader question and, and begin to work on that. Who do I want to become this next season of my life? How do I quit hurrying and commit to more of Jesus, learning from him, resting in him, yoked with him in the rhythm of the kingdom of God? Well, I want to close with just a few practical suggestions that might help us to slow down, to commit to, to more of Jesus. And the first is, you know, we, we have to set time, we have to schedule time each day to practice slowing. You see, one of the best ways to combat a, a habit of speeding up is to introduce a habit of slowing down. To take time, to take a breath, to sit in silence because it's in those moments I begin to realize and become aware of things that I forget or lose sight of when I'm in a hurry. It's when I begin to remember things like, you know, God does care for me. God loves me. I'm not actually alone in whatever I'm facing. God is going to continue to walk with me wherever I go through whatever I face. And I start to remember those things and the point is to stop and slow down, pause. The second thing is to take advantage of opportunities to wait. Anyone else try to figure out the fastest line at the store? I mean, there's got to be some kind of calculation for figuring it out. You know, I, I try to figure it out, but sometimes I, I'm switching lines multiple times and it never helps. I'm always behind the guy who grabs the socks without the tag. You know, and, and, and I used to become irritated at this until I was that guy. And there were people behind me who are grumbling. And I haven't perfected it yet, but I've learned to wait in line and use it as an opportunity to do something that people rarely do in line. <laughs> I try to look patient, and I smile. And it's interesting. It makes a difference in me when I, when I think about it. It also makes a difference in the people around us. Last week, I was at Sam's Club returning something, and there was this big, long line. And the people in front of me were just so agitated and frustrated and annoyed. And, you know, I was a little irritated myself, like, oh, boy. But then I remembered I was preaching on this this Sunday, and <laughs> it helps, right? That the guy in front of me who was just fidgeting and kind of pacing back and forth and taking pictures of the line and texting people, you know, look at this line, how annoyed I am, blah, 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 this or that. And I could tell he was getting ready to turn around and say something to me, to complain, to grumble. And so he turned around and he was ready and I just like, I did this. Hey. He turned back around. <laughs> he didn't know what to do. <laughs> 
He was looking for someone to complain with him, to, 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 to grumble with him, uh, to be equally annoyed. <laughs> you know, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what he knew what to do. And the thing is that even the way that we wait can make a difference in the lives of people around us. It certainly makes a difference in my life. And when you encounter a slowdown in traffic or, or a line at the store, use it as a time to pray or, or to rest your mind or, or maybe just simply not be busy for a moment. I love how the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah put it. He said, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Uh, think about that. The Lord is good to those who wait. God has good things for us when, when we're willing to pause and, and wait and listen. The third thing is schedule time to be alone. And I, and I get it, I know. <laughs> we're, all, we're all in this together of busyness, of family and work, and, 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 and to schedule time alone doesn't seem feasible, and yet, you know, we've got to, we've got to do it. Schedule it into our calendar, into our work. I know a guy who um, every day he goes out to his car to eat his lunch just to get away, to get some quiet. He knows that he needs it. And you need a, to, to need a break to rest, but it's also in those moments that we actually discover what's going on inside our soul. Some of you have no idea, all, some of us have no idea what's churning deep down inside of us. You've been moving so fast, you've been avoiding issues of pain and, and hurt and fear and doubt. And that's, God doesn't want that. God's not asking you to, to just keep moving and just get by. No, he wants you to experience joy and peace in life. We need time alone to allow that to come to the surface. We need undistracted time to focus on God. The final thing is, and maybe the hardest, is we need to learn to say no. <laughs> and that could be a challenge for us yes people. In fact, you know, someone once got me a, a no button. <laughs> you press it, it says no for you. <laughs> and I needed that as a reminder that sometimes, you know, it's okay to say no. I have to be reminded to not let a lot of good activity take away from, from what's best. I mean, we can't always say no, but there's always going to be something, a, a request, a plea, a, a demand, a need this week. But this week there might be something that you should say no to that will help you to live an unhurried life, to help you to live for the best things. You see, we pride ourselves in activity, but who are we really becoming in those moments? See, someone has said, God doesn't call you to a life you don't have time for. Again, think about that. God hasn't called you to a life you don't have time for. And here's the thing, life is too difficult, life is too messy to not take time to slow down. Your life is too meaningful, your family is too important, your challenges are too great. We have a decision to make. This, this week, will you intentionally commit to start to eliminate hurry in your life? Resist the temptation to rush when you don't need to. 
Will you stop and take moments just to be still, to, to be quiet and to remember that God, man, God's still working in my life. Will you take advantage of opportunities to wait? You see, slowing doesn't happen by accident. It won't happen just because we want it to. We find our rest in Jesus to commit more of Je- to knowing more of Jesus. But even then, the, the air is going to leak out. So it isn't just a, a one-time deal. It's, a, it's repeatedly going for refilling, for refreshing, replenishing. I ask the band to, to come as I close here. I just want to ask this question. Will, will you take time to sit at Jesus' feet and live an unhurried life? Again, we read from Matthew chapter 11. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep, keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I think it's appropriate that we end a, a message on hurrying and slowing down, that we take a moment to pause. So we're going to take a couple of minutes to practice an unhurried life. So I just, just invite you to close your eyes, take a deep breath, Talk to our God this morning.